evening, and welcome to the January 31st edition of Eye on the Triangle. I'm Nick. And I'm Jake. We've got a great show for you tonight. We've got information about the up-and-coming Double Barrel Benefit, a great way to dive headfirst into the local music scene, as well as an interview with a member of the Occupy Raleigh movement. Also tonight, we have a new segment called Eye on the Arts, some thoughts about Brother Ross, who graced, ca- who graced our campus with a visit yesterday, and we shine a spotlight on the local poetry scene. And finally, Dave has a new segment detailing what holidays we may or may not be aware we should be celebrating this week. But first, let's do the news. Thanks, Nick. The Congressional Budget Office today released a report forecasting the federal deficit to be about $1.1 trillion by the end of this fiscal year. This would be the fourth year in a row in which the federal deficit topped $1 trillion. However, with the Bush-era tax cuts set to expire at the end of the year, many are saying that unless Congress re-implements those or similar cuts, the deficit could shrink markedly. However, with an unemployment rate that remains above 8.5%, it is unlikely Congress would allow the cuts to expire without putting some other form of cuts into legislation. To Florida, where today was primary day in the Republican race for presidential nominee. The race has essentially come down to Mitt Romney or Newt Gingrich, with many calling the race in Romney's favor. Romney has enjoyed a surge in the polls in recent days. Florida is a winner-take-all state, and many have predicted the winner here could go on to to be the eventual nominee. The polls opened at 7 a.m. this morning and closed just minutes ago at 7 p.m. Next up, a bit of sports news. The 46th Super Bowl is this Sunday, February 5th. The game will be held at the Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, Indiana, and will pit the New York Giants against the New England Patriots. The last time the two teams went head-to-head in the Super Bowl was 2008, with the New York Giants scoring a 17-14 victory over the Patriots. Kickoff will be at 6.30. And finally tonight, in local news, former Charlotte Mayor Pat McCrory announced his decision to run for governor of North Carolina in the upcoming gubernatorial election. This comes a week after current governor Beverly Perdue announced she will not be running for re-election, meaning there will be no incumbent in the elections this fall. Lieutenant Governor Walter Dalton and Representative Bill Fajon of Orange County are currently running in the Democratic primary. Now here's DeAndre Jones with some international news. Ten months into the uprising in Syria, deadly clashes between opposition fighters and government forces have now spread to suburbs just 15 minutes from the heart of the capital, Damascus. The clashes between rebels and regime forces of al-Assad are becoming more and more dangerous. Russia and other countries have said that they will not interfere in the riots without approval. Next, when President Barack Obama told Americans last week that al-Qaeda operatives in Yemen are scrambling, knowing that they can't escape the reach of the United States of America, he may have only been telling half the story. While al-Qaeda's Yemen branch has been hit hard, most notably with the killing of American cleric Anwar al-Waki, U.S. officials and experts say there are signs that al-Qaeda is making significant gains in Yemen as the government's control over outlying regions continues to fray amid political unrest. The death of al-Waki by a CIA-operated drone in September eliminated al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula's external operations commander and chief recruiter of English-speaking militants. However, key players still remain at large in Yemen. In other news, Japan's population will shrink by a staggering 30% by 2060, according to a new estimate by the country's government. The current population will shrink from the current level of 128 million people to 86.74 million people as the growing nation's aging accelerates and the birth rate continues to stay low. The Ministry of Health, Labor, and Welfare's research organization released the data on Monday. The group, called the National Institute of Population and Social Security Research, provides a 50-year demographic forecast every five years. For Eye on the Triangle, this is DeAndre Jones. Thanks, guys. Now we turn to Katie Costa for the weather. What's going on, Katie? Well, Nick, today we saw a beautiful sunny day with highs in the upper 60s here across the Triangle, and hopefully you got a chance to get outside and enjoy this unseasonably warm weather. 
Tonight we will cool down to 45 degrees with partly cloudy skies. Tomorrow we will have another round of warm weather yet again. Temperatures will peak as high as 70 degrees tomorrow with mostly sunny skies. So an overall gorgeous day for this time of year. Try to make it outside tomorrow if you can before another round of rain makes its way into the triangle overnight Wednesday. Temperatures will stay fairly mild Wednesday evening with lows in the lower 50s. Rain will continue into Thursday with highs in the upper 60s, so be sure to grab your rain jacket and umbrella on your way out the door. The rain will taper off by Thursday night, but temperatures will drop down to a chilly 41 degrees, so be sure to dress warm if planning on heading out Thursday evening. Friday will be cooler with highs in the upper 50s and mostly sunny skies. And Friday night looks like the coldest night of the week since temperatures will drop into the upper 30s. Overall, this weekend, expect mostly cloudy skies with highs in the lower 50s and lows in the lower 40s with a chance of showers Saturday night. So, Nick, I don't know about you, but I am certainly going to make sure I am outside as much as possible tomorrow since you never know when temperatures will hit 70 again, especially for this time of year. Around here, you can never tell. I know. It's always a weather roller coaster. Well, thanks a lot, Katie. You're welcome. For anyone that listens to this station on a regular basis, you've no doubt heard all about the double by all benefit. But what exactly is it? Jake recently sat down with our station manager and overlord, Molly Maddie, to find out. You are Molly Maddie. You are the general manager of WKMC. That is very true. I am usually managing generally. Okay. So the double barrel benefit, a lot of people probably don't know what that is. What is it? So, Double Barrel Benefit is a two-night concert series that serves as our largest fundraiser of the year. We're featuring eight local bands this year. That is, on Friday night, Make, Organos, Birds and Arrows, and Future Kings of Nowhere. That's Friday, February 3rd. On Saturday, February 4th, it will be Heads on Sticks, Naked Gods, Gross Ghost, and the Kingsbury Makes. Very good. You know your stuff. <laughs> I do. I do know my stuff. Um, so we here at KNC have been working on uh, planning this event for many months. Um, I would say I started asking bands in about June. Really? Um, yeah. And uh, working at a venue, um, historically it's always been at the Poor House or King's Barcade. Uh, I had asked some larger bands in hopes of maybe having it at the Lincoln Theater this year and increasing, doubling our size. Um those headliners didn't work out. However, I'm very happy that we have uh, the Future Kings of Nowhere and the Kingsbury Manx this year. Thanks, guys. It's really awesome. All the bands play for free, so all of the money really does go straight to KNC. And these are all these are all strictly local bands, like yes, yes. I think the one that's coming the furthest, farthest from home is Naked Gods. They're from Boone. All right. Yeah. So you said that it opens Friday. It runs Friday and Saturday. Uh, the mm-hmm. doors open at 8 p.m. on both days. Yep. But, oh, no, I'm not 21. I can't drink. What do I do? <laughs> well, I must still want to go. <laughs> the Poor House is uh, usually a 21 and up venue. However, for this special occasion, as we are college radio and almost everybody who works here is under 21, um, we made sure that if you were 18 or older, you can get in. Uh, there's a $5 cover. Even if you're under 18, which you have a legal parent or guardian with you, you can get in. Um, it's really cool. Somebody called in and was like, my daughter's 16 and I really want her to come. She really loves Future Kings of Nowhere. And I was like, you're coming with her. It's totally fine. It's awesome. So if you have a cool dad or cool mom or cool grandpa, they can come with you. If your grandpa is doing this kind of stuff, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, so this is the ninth year that the Double Barrel Benefit has, yeah. has run. Um, yeah. Next year is going to be 10 years, obviously, but... 
I mean, you've been here a long time. How have you seen it grow? I mean, um, you know, it's just consistently really great. I mean, the local music scene in the Triangle area and Greater North Carolina area is so it just is constantly flourishing. It, the bands are different every year, um, so the sound is different every year. Would you say it keeps getting bigger? I wouldn't say it keeps getting bigger because we are limited to the size of the place we're in. But I think each year we're trying to do something new. So last year was the compilation. Um, Tommy Anderson and Eric Scholes got together and came up with this idea for a compilation album that had an original single from all of the bands performing. And everyone who attended uh, got a free compilation album. Uh, we still have some of those left, so you can, get, you can pick one up at mm. the event. Um, and due to some issues with people's time and stuff, we don't have the capabilities of doing a compilation this year. But uh, instead, I came up with the Day Party and Market, which is something new that I think kind of makes this Double Barrel unique. Um, I hope they'll continue doing it next year. So, So what is it? I would almost call it the Triple Barrel. It started out like a much smaller idea in that uh, Double Barrel Benefit focuses on local music, but there's also a great local art scene. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of people who are really involved in charities and businesses um, that are really important to us. So I decided to give those artists and charities and businesses a chance to be involved in Double Barrel Benefit, the largest thing we do every year. So I emailed about... I don't know, a hundred artists that I knew or had seen their work and businesses that I really liked and not just me, but the KNC liked. When I say I, I think I kind of mean KNC. Yeah. But, you know, I had about, at first, it was almost disappointing. I had only a few people respond say, oh yeah, that sounds pretty cool. You know, people selling handmade soap or jewelry or, you know, screen printed t-shirts. And then I was like, well, I should add some music to this too, because you can't just shop without, you know, having something to... Bob too. Um, so I started asking some local bands that were smaller and maybe um, maybe that were missed in the search for double barrel bands. So started out with Magnolia Collective, which is a really great local folk band, and it just started growing and growing. And now we have seven bands and like twenty five artists and four campus groups and a few businesses and a few charities, and it's it's a lot bigger than I thought. Um, and was that? Was that this year you started that, or how long? Yeah, that's this year. That was just this year. Just this year, I just kind of threw some stuff together, and uh, with the generosity of um, some great local bands and Tiernanog, because it's going to be at Tiernanog um, Saturday, February fourth, from noon to five, um, and uh, the the bands they'll have pretty short sets because we're shoving seven bands in five hours. There's going to be a lot of collaboration. Um, I'm pretty excited. Uh, there's Magnolia Collective, like I said, they were the first band to agree to it. Uh, Jeff Crawford of Arbor Ridge Studios, Patrick Phelan of Luego, and then we've got Driftwood, which is a band from New York. Uh, the only non-local thing there, uh, but they're they're playing a show with Magnolia Collective, so they're like, oh, can we tag along? So of course, sure. And then it got even bigger, and then the big picture, and then uh, the most unique part of that event will probably be Juan Huevos all-ages performance. For those of you who are familiar with Juan Huevos' acts, it will be very different. He will keep all of his clothing on. He will not say dirty words. That's always good. Yeah. Um, for those of you who are at the birthday party, his performance will be nothing like that. I will not also not introduce him the way that I did. That's good to hear. <laughs> well, that sounds really cool. Um, so, again, this will be on Friday and Saturday, starting at 8 p.m., 
starting at 8 p.m. Yep, at the poorhouse. South Blunt Street. South Blunt Street. Um, yeah, and Tiernanogue is actually just two doors down from the poorhouse. So if you go to the day party, hang out all day, maybe have lunch at Tiernanogue, stay for all seven bands, buy some cool stuff, you have time for dinner, maybe a quick nap, and uh, then come right back to the poorhouse and come to Double Barrel Benefit. Tickets are available at School Kids Records on Hillsborough Street. Bull City Records in Durham, for all of our Durham listeners, and online at the Poorhouse website. And that's right, it's $15 in advance for both nights, yeah, as opposed so to $10. You can see eight bands for $15, and if you go to the day party, you can actually see 15 bands for $15. That's a dollar a band, guys. You gotta love college. Yeah, it should be great. Uh, and the day party is free and for all ages, in case I didn't add that. Alright, well thanks a lot, Molly. You're very welcome. By the Future Kings of Nowhere, who will be playing on Friday night, so be sure to check them out. Last week, one of our contributors had some rather harsh words about the Occupy Wall Street movement. Angela Schultz, a member of Occupy Raleigh, sat down with Iron the Triangle to give her thoughts on the future of the movement. Good evening. Last Tuesday, the headline of the Technician editorial announced the death of Occupy, declaring that the nationwide protest movement that began on Wall Street had outlived its uses. The obituary probably came as no small surprise to my guest tonight. Angela Schulte helped organize the first protests in downtown Raleigh on October 15th of last year and continues to assist with organization and media outreach. She joins me tonight to discuss the meaning of Occupy Wall Street. I should like to begin by asking Ms. Schulte whether reports of the movement's death are greatly exaggerated. I believe they are, yes. <laughs> I think that um, it's entering a new phase, but I think that we are definitely here, and there's definitely a lot of people that are in support of it and care about it, and probably many that still have not gotten in touch with that. Returning to the technician piece for a minute, the complaint of the editors was that Occupy seems to lack specific goals. Now, it seemed to me that this uh, struck a chord on campus, which uh, resonated again last week when my colleague Jake suggested on this program that you can only sit around banging the drums in the park for so long. So my question, does the Occupy movement have specific, measurable, and attainable goals? And if so, what are they? I believe we do. I uh, Certainly, it's to raise the American consciousness and to make social economic stratification and economic injustice, uh, put that at the forefront of the American consciousness, and require politicians and banks to begin to pass policy and make that the most important part of what they choose to do. I believe, and I think many occupiers would agree, that we have a lot of people who have way too much wealth and who are certainly not giving back. They're attaining that wealth by unethical, immoral means. Could you give an example? Um, Wall Street. I mean, Wall Street is a perfect example. I mean, people like the CEO of Goldman Sachs, people that are playing the, the money game and basically gambling to attain their wealth and making it look like they have somehow worked harder than other Americans. And they haven't worked harder than other Americans. They've learned how to play a game that gets them money, you know. And I think it's unfair that these people are showing such dispassion and unprecedented callousness toward people who are, are struggling in our working class. When you say gamble, you're referring to presumably gambling with other people's money, right? Leaving aside the question of whether it's ethical to gamble with your own money, the allegation against the, the Wall Street bankers is that they have gambled with other people's money. The, the reality is that our monetary system 
is ultimately based on a kind of gambling. Are you referring to the, the dollar now or to the financial system, the, the banks? All of the above. I mean, it really is. Mon- money is well when, when you consider that banks do not have the money that they say that they do, and we are left to believe in this nation that, you know, our, our money is secure when it's all gambling. I, I put $100 in the bank, and the bank says it becomes $10,000. We don't. But you put the money in the bank with the, the expectation. There's an expectation which led to the creation of the banking system in modern countries. The expectation that you can give other people your money, that they will use it in ways that are risky, that have certain degrees of risk. And with the risk comes the possibility of a greater reward. So you're not merely trusting them not to gamble with your money. You're trusting them to make tough and risky decisions, which will sometimes go badly. Do you distinguish between that and between deliberate malfeasance? I think the people that make these decisions in positions of power are not horribly corrupt people and evil who are trying to manipulate and deliberately deceive. I think they believe the same that, uh, to some extent, the same as others, that our economic system will work and that those kinds of risks are healthy. But I think that the average American, the average citizen has been led to believe, to buy into an illusion that it's much safer than it really is. I mean, people were asleep in 2008, absolutely asleep to the idea that this could crumble. I mean, yeah, they were economic experts saying this, but the average American citizen thought that if they say I can do it, if I can buy that house, then I must be able to do it. That kind of... I think you point out, if I I may, I think you point out a really important distinction there, which is that uh, there was a failing of responsibility, not only on the part of a certain banking elite or a financial elite or a government elite, but of the American people to recognize that they are responsible for their own affairs. It, you know, we've had the criticism so many times, you know, just to take it bound as something local of, you know, people will drive by and say, get a job. Right. Um, there's no question, and I don't think anybody at Occupy Wall Street or anybody in this movement or I personally would say, we have a mutual responsibility. I mean, we know that, that the people have made choices not to educate, to spend their money unwisely, to, and that there's an education piece that we all have to take individual responsibility. Right. Right. Democratic societies right. Right. require self-governance. Including, including suffering the consequences, yeah. whether it's whether it's right. a family that, that goes delinquent on their mortgage or a bank that fails, that, is, that has to be allowed to fail. Right. But the people in our, you know, on the other hand, the economic elite in this country have a system in place that the average American probably cannot and does not understand. I mean, to me, that's a no-brainer. Um, to say that that's a conflict of interest. I regret that we're almost out of time. I should like to conclude by asking Ms. Schulte to briefly describe an interview project of her own. We are working on starting to collect stories. I think one, there's a lot of misconceptions about, obviously, the kind of people that are part of Occupy. And so we have to answer those objections about whether people have jobs, you know, what motivates them, who they are. We want to start to collect stories and to hear from people and to start really getting a sense of who we really are, what the demographics are, what life experiences motivate people at Occupy, but also want to extending invitation to people who question us and to start to understand what life experiences motivate them to start to question us. So I really want to start opening up the dialogue. Thank you very much. My guest has been Angela Schulte of Occupy Raleigh for 88.1 WKNC. This is William Allen. Good night. Well, there's a different take on it from last week, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, it's good to always get both sides of an issue. If you're going to talk about it, you got to have one side and this side. So. Cool. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back.
Yesterday, a local preacher known as Brother Ross stopped by NC State to spread what he considers to be the Word of God. Many, however, consider him to be little more than a hate monger. Jake happened to be in the crowd yesterday and has some thoughts on the controversial speaker. We'd like to add that the following thoughts are not, and, and uh, following thoughts and opinions do not necessarily reflect those of WKNC student media or NCSU. Now you're sitting here with stupid pens on you, condemning us. What condemns people to hell? Does anybody know? No. Judgment. God. Nope. It's a three-letter word that starts with S. That condemns you. Not me. Not any preacher. Do you know? Do you know what that is? Why did Why did God approach the woman at the well? Yes, he got it. Sin condemns you. Young man, before I walked in this campus, you are a false prophet, and you need to be carried off this campus. Jesus said in Luke six. If you were anywhere near the library yesterday, you probably noticed a large group of people gathered in the center of the brickyard. And if that got your attention, you probably also noticed Brother Ross had returned, once again spreading his idea of the good news. For those of you that don't know, Brother Ross is a preacher that travels around to various colleges and preaches his idea of God's word to anyone that will listen. But the thing is, he is so controversial, most people are just happy jeering and taunting him. To be sure, what Brother Ross has to say is hardly ever anything but misogynistic, homophobic, or otherwise intolerant of just about everyone. What he has to say is hardly worth listening to. Nevertheless, Brother Ross has every right to stand out in the brickyard and preach his hatred until he's blue in the face. But should we, as students of a school committed to inclusion and openness, pay any attention to him? Yes, what he has to say is awful, and should not be paid any attention to. But every time someone answers back at him, or people stand there jeering, they're giving him exactly what he wants. And it is exactly this attention that drives him. Someone that is willing to go out and humiliate themselves like that in public is not going to be driven away because someone is making fun of them. He is not going to back down or admit defeat because someone outdebated him. He thrives on the attention given to him. And every time someone talks back to him, ridicules him, or otherwise brings attention to Brother Ross, he's only going to speak up. Quote me three verses at the Bible. Sir, I don't need to quote you anything. How about this? It's okay, because I know where I stand with God. Quote me one verse at the Bible. You are out here getting angry. Look at you yelling. You are making a fool out of yourself. They're here because of you. They're not here because of me. I'm sorry, but I walked into this circle because I knew that people like you were going to... They're sitting here. Which is why we, as students, should reject everything this man says and everything this man stands for by just ignoring him. Because even though some may find it entertaining to see such a hateful individual being ridiculed, it ultimately does not do anything to further the idea that NC State is a place where all are welcome. Especially when the rapping starts. Let me tell you a little something, man. I'm a lot on my words are as true as they apply. Because I told myself I wouldn't be just another rapper spitting bad of bins when it's causing yeah. the crap. You yeah. driving down the street, don't you think I can Yo, see it? Spitting bad of bins when you're rolling the key. Why are you telling everybody that they ought to want to be here when you The Krispy Kreme Donut Challenge is a crazy and unique tradition here at NC State. This Saturday is the 2012 Krispy Kreme Donut Challenge, in which contestants eat a dozen donuts and run five miles. Here's last year's coverage of the challenge with Mark Herring and Chris Chaffee. Some feel it's gluttonous, others consider it absurd, 
And some think it's just plain nasty. But one thing's for sure, the Krispy Kreme Challenge is a hell of a race. People have said that the challenge is just as important as going to classes to be a true member of the Wolfpack. The event, which requires participants to run four miles and eat 12 donuts, necessitates a team of organizers and an ungodly amount of donuts. Started by a group of park scholars who wanted to raise money for the North Carolina Children's Hospital, it has grown to a massive event with over 7,500 participants. Despite the tremendous hype before the race, the organizers start planning next year's event as soon as the last one is over. Alton Russell, a freshman and one of this year's organizers, explains the history of the challenge. The, the race was started in 2004 by just a few guys who were park scholars who just wanted to run to Krispy Kreme. They just had the idea for the race and they just completed it. And a couple of years later, they decided to make it into a fundraiser for the um, North Carolina Children's Hospital. So it's pretty much completely run by students at NC State, most of whom are park scholars. I'm on the PR committee, so we just helped get the hype out in the past few months about the contest, and on Saturday I'll be volunteering. The event not only requires preparation, but also execution. Serving 7,500 dozen donuts to hungry runners can be a real challenge, but with the help of volunteers such as Erica Alpeter, the race can go off without a hitch. So for the last two years, I volunteered at the Krispy Kreme Challenge, and I am on site, and I help unload all the pallets of all the donuts, and then we put them on the tables, and then all the thousands of runners come through, and we divvy them out, and then I take home like 50 dozen donuts home afterwards, and it's awesome. Afterwards, what's the cleanup like? Um, afterwards is full of carnage. It's a, it's complete chaos when it's actually happening. After all the runners are gone, the whole ground is covered in crushed cups. There's vomit everywhere. There's piles of donuts. There's, it's just, it's chaos and gross and disgusting. But you go around, you get gloves, and you just go and pick up all the stuff because you really don't want to drive around and see vomit everywhere. So we don't clean it up. Runners and volunteers are important to the challenge, but they would be nowhere without the donuts. Around the clock in the run-up to the event, Krispy Kreme employees, like Marcus, the second ship supervisor, are working hard to make too many donuts. We have people boxing like throughout that night, throughout that morning, like people from second, third shift, everybody's here like in the morning. I think it's fun. It's a nice little thing that Krispy Kreme does. It's, it's nothing I would do running from state, but I mean, I, I think it's pretty cool. I saw it one time. It was, it was, was kind of nasty. So this year, on a rainy and cold Saturday morning, the racers lined up to take their places at the start. Some practiced, some didn't. Some were just there to spectate. And now, are you actually doing the Crystal Green Challenge? Absolutely, yes. And do you think you will complete the challenge? Absolutely, yes. And have you been practicing for the challenge? No. Okay. <laughs> As the runners approach the Krispy Kreme at the corner of Peace and Person Streets in downtown Raleigh, they tried several different techniques to gobble down donuts as fast as humanly possible. You're exhibiting the dunk and eat technique that has been popularized by several people. Now tell us about how it's working for you. It makes it go down a lot easier. You have to do less chewing, but it makes it a lot worse. It's not a good donut anymore. This is my third year. I got like nine and a half the first year, and then just like six the second year. I kind of wussed out, so... Maybe this is my year. What exactly are you doing? He's eating, apparently. Compacting and lubricating. Compacting and lubricating. That's what it's all about. <laughs> so you are exhibiting the stack and uh, and chow down technique. 
How's it going? Mm, it's going all right. Thing is, with this, I heard this uh, was the best strategy. Stack it together, get some water, get the sugar off, and then you cannot eat these individually. So you're now eating all of the donuts in one giant handful. All 12 of them, actually. All 2,400 calories. Yeah. How do you feel about this so far? Have you been making good progress? I think I'm, I think I'm gonna kill like two donuts with this, but Word. I'm not sure yet. Most runners would agree that the run back to the bell tower is the hardest part, not only due to the donuts sloshing in the bellies of some runners, but also the uphill return. Yeah, it was the best. I feel better than ever. I'm feeling strong. I'm strong. Are all 12 donuts in, in you? Oh yeah, here's the box. Exhausted, <laughs> huh? No, I'm feeling good. Donuts give me my special powers. <laughs> if there's not donuts in your mouth, you like never want to put any more in because it's so horrendous to keep shoving them down. But so tasty and glazed. Mm. So you're like really peppy and enthused after eating donuts and running four miles. Like, why are you still so excited? Because I love donuts! Yeah! Eat more donuts. <laughs> Keep them down. It's worse when you throw them up. How do you feel? Uh, not too good. <laughs> Those donuts are churning up a storm down there, man. Uh, are you going to like, quote, hold it down, as they say? Uh, two years ago, I tried to throw them up, but I couldn't. So I guess that means, yes, I am going to hold it down. How was the race this year? I know you've done this in the past. Like, Has your strategy changed? No, the basic strategy is you run as fast as you can up to the donut place, eat the donuts as quick as you can, then you can usually have enough time to walk and run back, which is what I did today. The donuts were never anything that I trained for, so they did not help my run. You've never even heard of this until this year, right? Yes, yeah, first time I already heard it. And what did you think the first time you heard about it? These people are f***ing stupid. <laughs> Asses. How do you feel now? They're still f***ing stupid. <coughs> Ugh, those are gross, though, like wet, soggy donuts. They're already all gushy, but man. Bad mouthfeel. Now, will you do this next year? Probably. The Krispy Kreme Challenge's popularity is growing. In fact, Florida State, the University of Kentucky, and the University of Kansas all have their own versions, inspired by the best and brightest here at NC State. Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on who you are, that means the challenge is here to stay. Until next year, I'm Chris Chaffee. And I am Mark Herring. And now we have our own Krispy Kreme runner in the building. His name's Kyle Jones, and he is actually participating this year, but he's done a few in the past. So, Kyle, could you tell us a little bit about your experience with the challenge? Uh, when I first heard of the Krispy Kreme challenge, uh, my sister, she uh, came to NC State before myself, and, uh, yeah, she told me about it. It sounded awful. Uh, it's not until you actually get out there and you're part of it and you see how many people are out there that you realize how cool it is. But having not experienced any of that, it sounded pretty awful. So how are you preparing yourself and getting ready for this? Uh, well, I've been, uh, you know, I've been uh, training about once a week for the last month. Um, that's what I do each, each year. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm pretty athletic, but... Running isn't my, my forte, and I think that's what's so great about the race is it's not it's for runners, but it's also for the mildly active. How do you train 
to wolf down a dozen donuts and just <laughs> run five miles? Like, how do you even begin training for something like that? That's something I haven't really delved into too much because the first year when I tried uh, the donuts, like, I had pretty competitive running time. But when I got to the donuts, I wasn't prepared for it at all. Like, I'm a big guy, 200 pounds. Like, I thought I was going to, like, wolf those down, like, much faster than everyone else. But it took me like half an hour to eat 12 donuts, and it was awful. It was the worst I've ever felt. That's what slowed you down? Oh, God. It's it's indescribable. <laughs> so what are some of the types of techniques you use to get all those donuts down? Okay, well, a lot of people talk about, you know, you get a number of cups of water because they give you cups of water, and so you just drench your donuts in the water. But I myself think that's cheating because what you're doing is getting rid of the sugar. And that's like the worst thing about it. So if you're going to do the challenge right, you can't adulterate your donuts. You have to eat the entire 12 sugar at all, all the crusty stuff. Go in the box, scrape it up with your fingers, and eat that too. Now, how does that affect the uphill run back? Um, you, oh, God. <laughs> try, yeah, try not to think about it, although it's impossible because your entire face is covered in this, like, sludge of sugar. And it starts to crunch, and you just want to cut off your tongue so you can stop tasting it. It's terrible. And you said people dunk their donuts in water? And that's yeah, that's uh, the only thing you do with that is it just makes it, one, go easier to go down because they're kind of cold and hard. Uh, and what it mostly does is get rid of the sugar. That but sounds absolutely disgusting. <laughs> you have to do it when you're Jake. Come on. <laughs> well, now with uh, the challenge this year, it. The course is a mile longer. Are you Ooh. are you prepared? I am not. Uh, <laughs> I was barely prepared for, what is it, four miles? Uh, five miles, not to mention the uh, altitude is going to change a, a decent amount. I'm not looking forward to hills. <laughs> are they holding in a different place this year? No, it's going to be the same route. They are just changing it up uh, for traffic, so it's a little safer. But or it's not the same route. Same location, uh, Krispy Kreme on the corner of Peace and Person Street. Um, but they're going to be taking a different route uh, just to alleviate some of the, the buildup in traffic because if you see the event, there are thousands of runners. It's, it's, a, it's a huge snake of just people running and eating donuts and and that's another thing I like to, to say is, you know, you've got to jump up an entire mile. That's, you know, after running two mile, two and a half miles, eating the donuts, and then a two and a half mile trek back, that's it's almost twice as hard. And you still have the 60 minutes of uh, allotted time as you have in the previous years. To, to actually complete, to complete the, the challenge as the, the authentic. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the, yeah, the authentic way. Well, uh, good luck to you, Kyle. Hopefully everything goes well this year. Hopefully the weather is better. But uh, happy running. Yeah, thank you. Well, this week, Dave sat down with Lauren, a sophomore who enjoys writing poetry in her spare time, in his latest installment of Poets' Corner. Hello, and welcome to the Poetry Corner with me, Dave. I'm here with Lauren Kaddick, and if you could just give us a brief introduction to yourself. Okay, my name's Lauren Kaddick. I am a sophomore in art and design. I'm a novice in the world of poetry, but I'm enjoying it, and I'm excited to be here. 
Okay, so your first poem is called Home. If you could just give us a brief introduction to that and then read it for us. Sure. This poem is inspired by my experience growing up in Gastonia, North Carolina, called Home. After 18 years in a small southern town, your adolescent life will become as dull as the asphalt on those backcountry roads, the same roads that you've traveled so repetitiously that they blend together and you can no longer recollect the time you spend driving from one place to another. And on some day while returning from a less than thrilling social call, you'll find yourself on these roads in a state of limbo between the house you'd give anything just to leave and the feeling that you really have nowhere to go. And so you'll drive. You'll see the bend where the mailboxes are too close to the curb and the driveway where the old woman in the shower cap walks in her faded pink robe to fetch the morning paper. You'll take the scenic highway that you ventured when you're stuck with 20 minutes to kill and not enough time to return home. You'll pass the farm with too many horses and the house that your father moved to when everything fell apart. And soon enough, you will find yourself back in your own corner of this small southern town with a weight in your chest that will make you wonder how much of these roads you will take with you and how much of you won't be taken at all. Okay, that was nice. It was a little bit depressing. Was that entirely autobiographical, or did you just pick from a few ideas in your life, or what? Pretty autobiographical. This poem I actually wrote in a class, and the prompt was it had to be a journey poem, and a journey has a beginning, middle, and an end. And um, at the time, I was kind of reflecting on what my journey was like right before I went to school. And um, sometimes it felt like just driving at all in Gastonia was just kind of a static journey in itself. So that's what this poem is about. Alrighty, so your second poem is called Alarm. If you could give us an introduction to that and then read that one for us. Okay. This poem is inspired by true events at the D.H. Hill Library. Alarm. If a fire alarm goes off in the library and no one moves... Does that still mean that there is a fire? And if there is, would we not burn at once in this concentrated box of kindling? But if there isn't, why do we not consider the dire chance that there is? Okay, so this one seemed very inspired by real life. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I actually walked into the library one day, and the place was full because it was uh, right before finals started. And, I mean, there had to have been like 200 people in the commons. And the fire alarm went off, and literally everyone just kind of looked up and then looked back down again and kept on going, and not one person got up and left the library. And, of course, I was thinking everyone's insane because you're in a library with nine stories all full of books, and books are full of pages. And if one of those floors caught on fire on the first floor, you wouldn't notice it. And yet coming down on top of you would be just this smoldering ball of fire. And that sounded terrifying. All right. Well, that does sound pretty terrifying. Now, what is your third poem called? The third poem's called Mitt. This poem is about Mitt Romney, and it's a reflection of the current Republican presidential primaries. Okay, so this is a sonnet, by the way. Sonnet called Mitt. The only constant in this whole damn horse and pony show is posing in the storefront of the burger joint, because, of course, he's just your average Joe. And though I'm sure he likes his empty cards as much as I do, I do not require the press to prove it. Still, his efforts cannot hide the lie existing in his coiffed, costly hairdo. I heard he pays his staff to ensure that no flyaway escapes to ruin his perfected image. 
Now with season tact, he thrusts his right hand toward a kid who passes him a greasy cheeseburger. He smiles but has nothing to say further. So this poem was pretty clearly based on Mitt Romney. Yep, Mitt Romney. He's the only person that has maintained an even keel throughout the entire primary season. And I was struck by a New York Times article that was profiling him and really calling to mind how rich this man actually is. And yet he goes through so many measures just to make sure that the public sees him as basically their next door neighbor. He says that he stops at Wendy's on the way and he has he flies American Airlines because American Airlines is the airlines of the people when, uh, honestly, he probably doesn't even want to. And when he does fly American, he does not fly coach. He flies first class. Um, <laughs> he is always trying to pull some kind of stunt to make it seem like he's not rich. And now that he's released his tax forms, we all know he is filthy rich. Okay, now for the general interview part of the segment. What inspires your poetry, and when does it tend to hit you? Well, I always write what I know. I've always been taught that really we can only write what we have experienced and internalized. So, you know, even if you're making up some kind of fictional story, you're still going to base the emotions of your characters and how your characters react to something on some experience that you've had in your own life. So, um... When it comes to my poetry, I take that quite literally and try and write about people that I know, places that I've been, and experiences that I've had. And I keep a small notebook with me so that if I see something that inspires me or think of some situation that's really unique, I like to jot it down and kind of keep that as like my little folio of inspiration. Because I find that sometimes just walking around and instances like the thing in the library happen to you just in your everyday life that you don't often expect to be poetic and yet sometimes it kind of turns into that okay well that concludes poetry corner i'd like to thank you for listening and thanks to lauren for coming in thanks for having me And an update on the Florida primary for you. We have Fox News and CNN both reporting that Mitt Romney is about 48%. Uh, Newt Gingrich is about 30 Rick Santorum is about 13 And Ron Paul is at 7 This is with about 35% of the, exit, of the precincts reporting. It seems there's always something going on around Raleigh worth checking out. Here's Rebecca with Eye on the Arts. Welcome to Eye on the Arts. I'm Rebecca, and here's what's happening in the arts community. Walking the dog means something entirely different if you're walking by the Contemporary Art Museum in downtown Raleigh. An interactive digital doggy is part of Cam Raleigh's newest exhibition, Born Digital. The computer-generated dog responds to visitors' movements with no chance of a sloppy lick. The image is merely a video projection. The exhibition uses interactive video and other digital technologies to showcase 12 unique local and international artists. 
Artists and designers from NC State College of Design's Advanced Media Lab have developed a new commission for the show, which will run through April 30th, 2012. Two French artists blend biology and technology with their work titled Acousmaflot. Living musical plants create a concert garden through human interaction and sound. Yes, the plants are real and so is the song. When visitors touch or stroke the plants, specific sounds are played, perhaps reminiscent of Alice in Wonderland's Golden Afternoon. This time, however, there is no hookah-smoking caterpillar. The exhibition will surely be an exciting stop on any First Friday agenda. Last week marked the end of a record-breaking show at the North Carolina Museum of Art. The Rembrandt in America exhibition featured more than $1 billion of artwork and was the largest collection of Rembrandts assembled in America. The 17th century Dutch painter was known for his incredibly accurate and honest self-portraits. He included every wrinkle and imperfection on his own face. Here's a look at the numbers that made Rembrandt in America succeed in Raleigh. $18 per every adult ticket granted access to nearly 50 portraits. 7,212 procrastinators showed up to see the famous works on the last Saturday of the exhibition. 100,000 people was the projected number of attendees, but 150,905 visitors actually came to the show. That's 50,905 more than the curators originally projected. Three self-portraits hung in the museum that recently added an $86.2 million expansion. And let's not forget, a countless number of neck ruffles. My name's Rebecca. Thanks for listening to Eye on the Arts. Everybody knows about Christmas, Valentine's Day, Halloween, and all those other holidays. But did you know that every single day of the year is a holiday? Dave does, and he knows which ones we should be celebrating this week. Welcome to Holidays of the Week. I'm Dave, and these are some of the holidays you may or may not want to celebrate this week. Starting with today, since there are a few hours left of the night, January 31st is Inspire Your Heart with Art Day. Tomorrow is Working Naked Day, so you can choose to celebrate that one if you work alone, I suppose, in your house, away from everyone else, or in a nudist colony. February 2nd is Groundhog Day, so make sure to see how long Phil the Groundhog will decree winter will go on. February 3rd is Wear Red Day, which shouldn't be hard for most of us here at NC State. February 4th is Ice Cream for Breakfast Day, just in time for you to quit your New Year's resolution. And finally, February 5th is Weather Person's Day, so make sure to forgive your weather person for any incorrect information they may give you next Monday. For the week, thanks for listening. Next, here's what's going on around campus. Hello, I'm Dave. Welcome to this week's community calendar. Tomorrow, the Miles for K kickoff celebration will be from 11.30 to 1.30 in the Carmichael Recreation Center. You can come out and run on the pink treadmills to raise money for the K. Yao Cancer Fund. The Campus Farmers Market will also be running tomorrow from 10 to 3 in the Brickyard. There will be a forum on the Republican primaries hosted by the College of Humanities and Social Sciences in Caldwell Hall tomorrow from 12.30 to 1.30. Barbara Foley, a professor at Rutgers University, will be speaking on Thursday about the author Ralph Ellison and his novel called Invisible Man. The short student film screening is back this year and will take place on Thursday from 7 to 8.30 p.m. NC State students will screen their best short films, each under four minutes, and then discuss their creative processes. 
And lastly, Center Stage will be presenting David Dorfman's dance performance titled Prophets of Funk on February 4th at 8 p.m. in the Stewart Theater. Tickets are $5 for state students and about $30 for the public. That's all for this week's Community Calendar. Thanks for listening. try something a little new here on the show. Every week we will have a riddle or a puzzle for you to solve. If and when you solve it, post it on our Facebook wall or tweet it to us and you can win a fabulous prize. I'm just kidding of course, but you'll be proud of yourself for solving it nonetheless. And yeah, you could always Google the answer, but really what fun is that? Tonight's riddle is as follows. What English word is nine letters long and can remain an English word at each step as you remove one letter at a time right down to a single letter? The letter removed does not have to be in any particular order. Remember, if you figure it out, tell us on Facebook or Twitter. Well, that's all we've got for you tonight. We thank you for tuning in. If you liked anything you heard, be sure to let us know on Facebook. Also be sure to read our blog at WKNC.org or follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. Until next week, good night.